Hey everyone, and welcome to this Thursday's uh, live stream. I'm so glad we can do this because it's been like entire two weeks because of Thanksgiving last week uh, since we've done this, so I'm glad that you could join me again. And I saw some talk in the chat before I got started uh, about how DeSantis down there in Florida has been talking about establishing a state guard, or some are calling it a state militia. And I'm honestly not that surprised. There was a lot of talk about this kind of thing during the Obama administration. Uh, a lot of talks, including, of course, Texas, talking about seceding uh, from the Union because basically the person in charge, then Obama, now Biden, sort of, to the degree that he is actually in charge. I know that's kind of an iffy equation there. Um, but to the degree that they don't basically represent uh, American ideals or the American founding and aren't willing to kind of follow that, right? So that's it's kind of something that happens seemingly every time a Democrat is in office, you have the Republican states talking about it. That's not to disparage it, but that's where we are. And then on the other side, I kind of hear a lot about uh, people saying, well, we should try and work together with the other side. And that's kind of an interesting dynamic in today's world, because for me, it really depends on what you mean by the other side, right? Because, I mean, we live in a time where the other side, ideologically speaking, right, is promoting such things as men in girls' bathrooms and housing men and women together inside of prisons, which is essentially inside of cages, and that kind of thing. When you look at the public policies and what they are in today's world, we're no longer just sort of debating over tax, um, you know, tax policies, which is the in many ways, one of the biggest areas of disagreement in the past, as far as you know, the, the size of the federal government and how much money should be given in terms of welfare schemes and so on. You were talking about tax rates, right? Because you were talking about the redistribution of wealth um, in the form of taxation and redistribution. That was one of the kind of primary topics. Now, every topic, at least that I'm interested in, and I think that you're interested in too, centers around our culture and our fundamental values. And on those issues, in order to come together and unite with another side, you have to be willing to compromise your own values. And I'm kind of at the point of, I don't think we should compromise our values much more. In fact, I think as we look around at the United States, and certainly when we look around at the rest of the Western world, we can see that too much compromise has taken place in regard to those values, in regard to our culture. And it is for that reason that we're kind of on this downward trajectory that's really impossible not to see at that at this point. That's where I am. Uh, and yes, I do see you guys over on DLive too. So, hey, I've got you both this time, which is a relief. Oh, I do want to start out actually. I wanted to share something with you because I, I know that, you know, again, this has been two weeks, but... Uh, the Women's March put out a tweet that I don't think we should ignore because there's just something kind of unique about their, their sort of mindset of this kind of ultra-feminist and ultra-leftist and ultra-woke mindset that kind of ties into what I was just saying about our inability to relate to those people at this point. Okay, so for example, they, they tweeted this out, and I'm just going to go ahead and read it because it says, We apologize deeply for the email that was sent today. $14.92 was our average donation amount this week. It was an oversight on our part to not make the connection to a year of colonization, conquest, and genocide for indigenous people, especially before Thanksgiving. Like, I don't know who thinks like this. And for those who don't know, 1492 was the year of Columbus's first voyage in this direction, you know, to meet the savages in the Bahamas and so on. So that's the significance thereof. But who is it? Who possibly looks at, you know, the number of the change, the, the average donation amount and thinks, 
evil colonization. Which, frankly, I don't think colonization was evil at all, but these people do, and that's what they see when they see this, this, this donation. I, I find it... Okay, maybe I shouldn't find it as amusing as I do, but there's this just a point at which you have to kind of draw the line and think, somebody actually typed that in, you know, actually said, well, not only is that don donation amount problematic, but I'm also going to have to issue a public apology that of all the donations we've received this week, that's what it averages out to. Um, and, 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 you know, and we're so ashamed because, yeah. Okay, anyway, um, it's snowing here in England. Yeah, um, I imagine it is by now. Okay, uh, let's let's go ahead and move on. I did want to share that with you because it's just, when you talk about uniting with the other side, you have to kind of look for where you can kind of interconnect with that other side in the modern world. And uh, I don't see many points of intersection at, at this point. I, I really don't. Anyway, it, it seems like perhaps one of the one of the biggest or the biggest event that's taken place over the past uh, few weeks has been the massacre, the anti-white massacre that took place in uh, Waukesha uh, in Wisconsin, which is about an hour away from Kenosha, where of course Kyle Rittenhouse was forced to defend himself, about an hour, ten minutes away. Now, this what's interesting about the story is actually the media coverage of it. So yes, you, you had this man who got in his red SUV and intentionally drove into a crowd of people who were doing nothing more than celebrating Christmas, right? It's a Christmas event. And after that, the media talked about the SUV and not the man. They literally avoided talking about the man because the man was it was a black man, and he was not only a black man, but he was a black man who sort of regurgitated, that's Daryl Brooks right there, who regurgitated the narratives that the media has been pushing. For the past, I don't know, at least five years, they've had a very strong and rather overt anti-white narrative in which they've been kind of spewing the idea that white people are responsible for every injustice of society, and that black people, in, in America at least, are the recipients of that. And that every hardship an individual black person has to encounter is because of an oppression by a white person, right? That is what's been happening. And some people will latch onto that and actually believe that crap. And so you've got people like Daryl who apparently did believe that and was encouraged by the same media that would later work to kind of, in one way or another, cover up what he really did. He's currently facing six murder charges because six people died, but a lot more were seriously injured and some we, we still don't actually know. Some are still in really bad shape in critical care because of what he did. But the media covered this as a vehicle attack. Several of them. I mean, this wasn't just like a few sources. No, a vehicle attacked the Christmas parade or an SUV drove through a Christmas parade but nothing about the individual. And honestly, you know that it would have been different if he wasn't a black guy. You know that it would have been different if it was, say, a white guy who drove into a crowd. The question would have been, and should have been, well, why did he do it? And that's not an unreasonable question if he was white. It's also not an unreasonable question with him being black, right? Is why did this person enact this terrorist attack, which is what it is? Because that's what it's designed to do, is to terrorize a populace, in addition to, of course, killing people, which he did. The media also, at one point, said that 
that Daryl was fleeing the scene of another crime, and then he accidentally hit people. And there is video of it happening. I'm not going to show a video of people being murdered, of course, but you can look at it if you will, if you want. I'm sure that the media did, that these people writing the stories did, and that car didn't slow down. He was intentionally driving into the thickest part of this parade, intentionally killing people, and the media attempted to cover it up by saying, oh, he was just, you know, attempting to flee the scene of a crime, and in so doing, he just kind of hit a few people who were in his line of escape, basically, and that's just not the case at all. The, uh, and by, by doing this, I'm going to go ahead and turn him off now, but by doing this, the media has essentially put forth the sort of message that what you might say is that white lives don't matter, because it's, it's the message that as long as you have white people who are the victims, by the way, the intentional victims, let's be clear, of a person who is not white, then it doesn't really bear mentioning. Then they can move on rapidly, and they did, in fact. You know, unless you're frequenting, I don't want to say right-wing sources, but you know, even like Fox News or something is, is covering it. But when, when you look at the actual left-wing sources of news, you do not see this covered. They've already moved on. Like, literally, children lost their lives, children have been maimed, and so on. In addition to other people who are just there, you know, innocently celebrating Christmas, of all things, when they were murdered. And so what did he actually believe? We'll just go through that real quick. He believed that black people are the real Hebrews, so he kind of had something against the Jews too. He was kind of a part of that sort of black nationalist, um, or black supremacist rather, uh, sect that believes, kind of like the, the uh, Hebrew, the so-called Hebrew Israelites, um, that uh, you often see over in Washington DC and so on. It's kind of part of those, at least in the belief system that he followed, if not in the actual group specifically. He, we know that he reposted Colin Kaepernick's um, post saying that, quote, it's time for a revolution, unquote. He reposted that and in addition said, yeah, dat. That's not me mocking him, that's literally what he said, D-A-T, dat. Um, so these are kind of his heroes. We know that he supported Black Lives Matter. We know that he reposted stuff about Black Lives Matter. A lot of the information um, from his social media profiles have already been deleted, which is normally the case, to be fair. This happens after any sort of um, mass murder and so on. The perpetrator's accounts are removed, but supposedly made available to law enforcement. We also know that he favored the removal of historical statues of um, supposed slave owners. That was something that he promoted. So basically, he was actually in favor of all the sort of leftist mantras, right? He was the sort of person that they tried to create, that they wanted to create. He also hated uh, law enforcement, but he had an extensive rap sheet, which I'll get to in a moment. But when you look at the sort of uh, viewpoints that he had gathered over time, well, that's just what the mainstream media has been promoting, right? All of that is what the mainstream media promotes as a sort of moral ideal. I know that sounds perverse to you, because it does to me, but they would actually promote that as a moral ideal. I mean, he's supporting Colin Kaepernick, who, who knelt at just the right time, according to leftist mantra, right? He's the guy who's supporting Black Lives Matter and wants to get rid of those evil statues so that we can create a new world, or a new world order, perhaps. Uh, so when you put it together, he's the sort of person that could have been created by them. I mean, I guess it's possible. He had you know, these same organic belief systems, but it seems kind of unlikely. And even 
if he did, you're still talking about an, an exact replica of their belief systems that he held and then decided to act upon. Now, one of the things that they're already promoting is the idea that he had a mental illness and that that in some way uh, remediates his guilt. Now, the thing is that he was actually determined mentally fit previously because uh, that was actually analyzed in his long criminal history. But moreover, to some degree, I mean, it was his mother that claimed this uh, and the media's running with it. To some degree, you could argue that all mass murderers are. Like, I don't think anybody could say, hey, this guy who just drove an SUV into a crowd of people who were dancing and partying and singing, you know, was healthy and perfectly sane and reasoned. I don't think that's the case. At the same time, I don't think that we have kind of have any evidence whatsoever to kind of draw the line past his culpability. I haven't seen anything to that effect. Instead, what we do see is a mainstream media that is latching on to absolutely anything that would reduce his guilt and, quite frankly, reduce theirs. But let's just say for a second that he was severely mentally ill. Well, in that particular case, you would have somebody who was, in fact, very likely to, to take the word of the mainstream media as truth, right? And, I mean, who would that create? If you had somebody who was mentally ill in a way that made them more impressionable, which is off the case, and that person actually trusted what the mainstream media did and said, and was not discerning about it, what kind of person would that create? I don't know, I guess it would create somebody who supported Black Lives Matter and thought that all white people were evil and thought that white people should be eliminated and were the reason for your own sort of problems in life. That's what it would create. It would create somebody who is more likely to be violent against those people that he sees as the purveyor of all injustice. It would actually be seen as moral in the eyes of that disturbed person. I mean. There are consequences for uh, lying repeatedly and building a narrative that isn't based on truth. Ultimately, that, that's the truth. Uh, and also, of course, he was released only days prior uh, on bond. He was a registered child sex offender in Nevada. He has a rap sheet that's about 20 pages long. Sorry, about 50 pages long. My, my mistake. And it started back in 1999 when he was charged with aggravated battery, the same time as carrying a concealed weapon illegally, and then carried on in the year 2000, the very next year, he carried a concealed weapon, resisted or obstructed an officer, and had possession of cocaine. And, and I want to keep going through his the kind of summary of his rap sheet, because you have to come to the end of it, and come to November 2021, and imagine yourself, you know, as a prosecutor in this case, and tell yourself on what basis would he possibly be released. So then the next year after all of that, he gets charged again with resisting or obstructing an officer. Two years later, the very same thing, resisting or obstructing an officer. He's actually getting into multiple fights with officers. That's what's really happening here. In March 2005, he had stolen property and possession of a controlled substance. In 2009, he had a paternity warrant issued. He was resisting an officer again. In 2010, he had he was charged with strangulation and suffocation, domestic abuse battery, and criminal damage to property. In 2011, he had probation violations, failure to appear, possession of THC, and intent to distribute. 
in 2012, yes, I'm moving quickly, but he certainly didn't. He just, just every single year, it seems, he just kept on going. In 2012, he was bail jumping and also, again, resisting or fighting an officer. Then he skips a little while, in part due to convictions. Uh, and in 2020, he gets charged again with possess possession of a firearm as a convicted felon, endangering safety, reckless use of a firearm for domestic abuse, and possession of methamphetamines. Then by November 21, sorry, 2021, he gets charged with domestic uh, battery, bail jumping, endangering safety, disorderly conduct, and resisting arrest. In that particular incident, we know that he punched his ex in the face from his SUV and then ran her over with the SUV in a gas station parking lot. That's what actually took place. You know, it kind of helps, I think, when you don't just see charges, but when you actually kind of receive this picture that he actually ran somebody over. Um, only a couple of weeks before he did the same thing at this Christmas parade. But after all of that, somebody decided to look at this case, you know, the prosecution, and say, well, sounds like he should be on the streets. Oh, let me get a drink and we'll continue. Yeah, they gave him bail for a thousand dollars. And I know that some people have been saying that in Wisconsin, you know, the bail uh, situation is often a bit messed up. But the truth is, and I did look into this, that a prosecutor can request pretrial detention if the person represents, you know, a high likelihood of being a danger to society. That was not done. The prosecutor did not request even pretrial detention. They instead released him on a $1,000 bond, and he went on to do what was fairly predictable. I mean, okay, perhaps it's not predictable that he'd, you know, drive into a parade, but it was certainly predictable that he would go on to enact other forms of violence on people. It's certainly easy to see that he was not somebody who should be on the streets, but instead, over there in this particular area, they had bail reform efforts going on, but they were talking amply about how mean the bail system was and how wrong it was, and as a result of that, he got out at a significantly lower bond rate than is normal. Um, and frankly, he shouldn't have been out regardless of the amount of money that they put there because it's clear to anybody, to everybody, that he would represent a danger to society. And also to the woman that he ran over. You know, it seems, seems kind of evident that in that particular case, that would, that would be the case too. Um, and yet he was released. And we see these cases, or we are seeing them around the country, spreading that people are being released early due to so-called bail reform efforts and it's resulting in the victimization of, of innocent people. And, uh, hold on one sec, uh, Hector says, I think we need to ban SUVs. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, whenever you have a, a killing that takes place using the wrong weapon, you have leftists who jump on the gun. Which gun was he using and how did he get it? And obviously we need to ban it. However, however that kind of chain of events happened, we need to ban those guns. And it also, whenever you have a, a white guy who commits a crime, you also have kind of a, a look at the ideology of the person and talks about getting rid of the symbols of that ideology, such as when you happened at the, um, uh, the, the church shooting case with the guy who had the uh, Confederate flag on his top. Well, then suddenly Confederate flags had to be removed from all of society. But in this case, is Black, uh, Black Lives Matter 
symbols going to be removed? I mean, they're not even that perfectly uh, equivalent in, in a lot of different ways. I mean, Black Lives Matter is a group that quite literally burnt down like large swaths of different cities throughout 2020 and earlier. They're a violent group that's in many ways terroristic, and I mean that in the kind of literal sense that they work to terrorize communities so as to get their way. That's how they functioned. Is there any attempt to go after Black Lives Matter? No. Is there an attempt to label this guy as an extremist? No. In fact, <laughs> the media has been specifically saying that he, he wasn't an extremist because he wasn't to them. Instead, he echoed exactly the sort of mindset that they hold, that they hold to be true. And therefore, by their definition, he wasn't an extremist. He was just exactly where they are. And uh, yeah, it's, it's audacious about that. Um, also, his, his mother released a statement on behalf of his family decrying the criminal justice system in Wisconsin for failing her son. Now, um, there's just some kind of audacity there, I think, when you have a mother who, if anybody failed him, it would seem to be her, because I don't think it's the job of the criminal justice system to raise him right, uh, or to imbue a sense of moral values into him, which is what he would have needed, right, is a sense of decency and morality in order to not do this kind of thing, right? That doesn't come from the criminal justice system. If you expect you to get decency and morality from any government uh, institution, including schools, by the way, I think you're going to be found wanting. Instead, that has to come from the family home. So it seems especially audacious that this woman would speak up on behalf of the family and, and say this, because, again, you know, maybe he was raised perfectly, and then he left home and then just kind of did his own thing and got into drugs and violence and everything. Seems highly improbable and goes contrary to basically all statistics in such cases. But, you know, I guess that, let's just say that happened, okay? And then I guess you could say it's nobody's fault except for his own. But if the blame is to be lied anywhere other than on him, then it would surely lie upon the family that raised him or failed to do so. Um... Hold on a second, let me just jump down to where you guys are. Um, let's see, the guy says he was a gangster piece of trash, he rapped about his team of shooters, he was on that drill stuff. Yeah, I mean, and yet, there is very little um, talk about who he really was and what he was really attempting to do from the mainstream media, because there's, a, there's an attempt to whitewash, for want of a better term, um, him. His person, because he's sort of the manifestation of everything that they want to carry forth. He, if you could have the media kind of raise a person, that's the belief system that that person would hold. In other words. Okay. This guy was purposely killing white people. Yes, he was. That's exactly the case. He... I mean, and he made that clear with his philosophy, and then he went on to drive his SUV into an all-white crowd and killed those white people after talking at length about how much he hated um, white people. So, yeah, that's exactly what he was doing. Uh, I don't think I've been um, 
avoiding that exactly, but no. Uh, and that's the real problem. I think you're going to see an increase in it. I do. I think you're going to see a, a massive increase in the number of anti-white crimes. And you actually have seen an increase in the number of anti-Asian crimes over the past few years, which are also being covered up, interestingly enough. <clears throat> Okay, I think we should probably move on uh, for now, but I did want to cover that because it hasn't been covered appropriately. I think there's been, you know, when you consider just how much death and suffering has taken place in this case, it's really shocking how quickly uh, the media circus in many ways our society and culture has just kind of moved on and accepted it. It's like when these, these kids are still in the hospital uh, and that's where we really are. And we should be looking at the fact that this will increase because why wouldn't it? I mean, in an area where our culture promotes anti-whiteism, in an area where um, white people are being replaced in the area of jobs, like for example, I covered, it's been a few weeks now, but I covered like Novant Health, which is a uh, medical conglomerate uh, in the uh, southeastern United States. United States that fired a guy for being white and literally replaced him with two women, one of whom was black. I mean, that kind of diversity replacement is taking place in our culture. And yeah, of course, you've also got university examples where you're more likely to get into university and do so easier if you're anything but white or and Asian, let's be fair. Um, but when you're looking at the way that our culture is going, it's it's turning against white people as academia and media and you know Hollywood all work together in order to create a narrative that white people are somehow the oppressors. And yet, when you look at the data, you see um, the highest rate of suicides is amongst white men. And it's like, well, how did that happen? How is it that the oppressors are killing themselves at higher rates than the oppressed? What sense does that possibly make? But, you know, to hell with the data. <laughs> that's kind of like the mantra that we're promoting to hell with the data um, white people are bad and are responsible for everything everything that is ill in our society and that has has real manifest consequences and you, you're going to have a lot of people who start treating this guy this, this sick murderer as a hero because they'll see him as the killer of oppressors just wait for it, seriously that's, that's what's going to happen in no time at all Anyway, uh, let, let's move on for a bit. I do want to talk about, uh, I, I was sent an article earlier about how uh, Senate and House Republicans are going to try to defund the vaccine mandate that was put in place by Biden. Um, and I find that particularly interesting because it happens at a time after the mandate's already been struck down, after three federal judges have shut down the mandate, now nationwide, now these sort of Republicans who are like, you know, playing ball, you might say, are suddenly interested. Like suddenly those people have decided, hey, hey, we're, we're on your side. We're going to represent you and protect you in the in the workplace and so on, which is what we're talking about, of course, is the workplace vaccine mandate. Now suddenly they're interested and it's like, oh, great. Thanks, guys. You know, you, you were really there for us. But at the same time, if you look at what's what else is happening, 80 House Republicans voted with Democrats on Tuesday to pass the Immunization Infrastructure Modernization Act. Now that, otherwise known as HR 550, would create a federal vaccination database. This 
is what we're ignoring while celebrating the fact that, you know, a handful of Republicans is talking about defunding the vaccine mandate. I mean, and really, if they wanted to defund something, they should be defunding massive federal, federal agencies that shouldn't exist in the first place and that, has, that Biden has exploited, as Democrat presidents always do, in order to wield far too much power upon their citizenry. But that's not what they're doing. They want to be very specific, you know, and then threaten us with a government shutdown as if anybody actually cares. Because I don't know about you, but when government shuts down, I don't actually notice because I... I don't need those services. In fact, I much prefer the size of the government when it's shut down and all those federal employees go home. Um, you still have what's known as the essential services still running in that scenario, which is fascinating because I thought the only, all we wanted in America were the essential services and that anything greater than that was too much. I thought that was kind of the American central ideal, right? That yes, government has great capacity for evil and will be, but it's also a necessary evil. Therefore, let's keep it as restrained and small as possible. I thought that was kind of the American ideal. But increasingly, you've got people who are saying, well, you know, when we shut down the government, you still have the essential stuff. It's like, well, well then why, why don't we just shut it down permanently and just not keep raising the debt ceiling? Uh, but anyway, then that was... A little bit off topic, back to what I was talking about, which is the Immunization Infrastructure Modernization Act. Now, this is the production of a federal vaccination database. And again, 80 House Republicans voted in favor of this. It, the, the act would give $400 million in taxpayer funds to fund what they call immunization system data modernization and expansion. I know it sounds so kind of utopian when they put it like that, at least if you haven't been paying attention for the past few years and realize exactly how they're talking. But no, they want a computerized database that records immunization do doses throughout the entire United States and has your data inside of it so they can keep track of whether or not you've been vaccinated, how up to date you are, where you live, and they can contact you if you happen to need a booster shot, I'm not joking, that's exactly where we are. The bill's author bragged in her press release that these systems will help the government to remind patients when they're due for a recommended vaccine. Not what you need. The government reminding you that it's time for a vaccine. I mean, like, there's stuff that I can say and stuff that I can't say here. But honestly, at what point does anybody want the government to have access to their medical records? Like the entire government, the entire vast government with its millions of employees, who on earth wants their medical data public? Let's just put it like that. And what even happened to HIPAA laws? You remember that when people used to believe that their medical privacy was almost sacred, right? That they, 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 they had specific control over them, that there was something really deeply private about their own medical decisions, and that they didn't want them shared even around their state, or even between medical providers, unless they signed a specific document saying, yes, in this particular case, I think it makes sense for this one doctor to share this information with this other doctor. And you had to sign away and say, okay, you know, now is an appropriate moment in time for that. But now we're at a point where we've just kind of said to hell with all of that. Let's create these massive databases, have all of your information in it. And when you're talking about a vaccine database at the very same time that we're talking about totalitarianism in the push for mandatory vaccinations, well, you kind of create a sort of dystopian um, vision, at least I do, very quickly from that.
And that's exactly what they're talking about. Now, you know, make no mistake, that's literally what, they, what they're talking about. <clears throat> and I haven't seen uh, really much coverage of this anywhere, really. I, I really had to kind of look into this. Because when you would think that basically all the news sources would be going on and on about <laughs> about this vaccine database, a lot like, you know, you've had the sort of um, Second Amendment advocates going for some time, right, about the gun databases and why they're uh, potentially harmful. And don't get me wrong, they are. We absolutely should fight against gun databases. You don't need the government when it becomes tyrannical or more tyrannical, um, sending the troops out to retrieve those very guns, which is what happens, look at Australia, um, you know, there's a kind of a pattern of events that takes place. There's good reasons to not want that to take place. And some of the same stuff applies when you're talking about vaccine databases. At what point do you want the federal government to be involved in this in any way? You want them showing up on your door with the, you know, injection in hand, saying it's time for your booster now because we say so. Because there's a lot of people who are like, well, it's, it's my body, and so I can always say now, no, but it's like, well, can you? Because increasingly over the last couple of years, it's become very evident that the government certainly doesn't see that. You know, the Biden administration certainly doesn't. They've decided to, you know, take the shot or starve. And maybe, you know, you work in a smaller company, so you haven't yet kind of run up against this. Or maybe you've been holding off because, you know, you have um, religious exemptions and so on. And good for you if you're able to, uh, you know, go that route. But the Biden administration has decided, from its perspective, that it literally owns your own body. That there is nothing kind of um, holy about you. You know, because, I mean, that's the thing. When, it, when I talk about this topic... It's like, you know, you are created in the image and likeness of God, and there is something kind of uniquely divine about each individual person. And it's kind of blasphemous, in a sense, uh, to, to mandate this kind of thing, to say, you know what, um, God didn't do enough, let us fix you, because you're our property and not his. Anyway, um, yeah. Uh, George Washington said, government is not reason, it is not eloquence, it is force, like fire, it is a dangerous servant and a fearful master. Well, exactly. And I guess that speaks well to what I was talking about with our original idea of government as, well, we have to have one, but it's a real shame that we actually have to have one, right? That, that used to be what everyone kind of, you know, told me about America and so on. It's not been that long. Um, but when I used to talk to Americans, that was what they told me. And that was an actual... Uh, ideal that makes sense and that is backed up by frankly all of human history right and most especially of course by the 20th century in which the biggest killer was, was democide it was death by government and so people now seem so separated from the idea that a government could turn tyrannical and kill millions of its own people but it's like it hasn't been that long just look at the 20th century it's it, it's full of examples of exactly that happening um let me come on down here. Uh, doctors are pushers, they need to be shown differently. I have found myself throughout this um, time to be uh, lacking some degree of compassion for some of these um, 
medical people who stayed quiet when the ma mandates applied to everybody else but didn't apply to them. I'll certainly say that. I think that to the degree that we're living in sort of a medical tyranny, at that point it kind of becomes the duty of those who work in that cartel, sorry, that industry, let's be nice, uh, to speak up when they know that something happening that something that's happening is wrong and which infringes upon the God-given rights of the individual citizenry. There is a point at which you have to say there is a greater ideal. There is, you know, th there are basic God-given rights, and there is there are things that I will not do because they're absolutely wrong. And if you don't know where that line is, then you should really think about it and decide because otherwise there will be no line. You will just keep pushing and pushing and pushing because. You know, there's, there's one, one abridgment of freedoms is never a huge leap from the last one. And that's the thing. It's like, well, this isn't that much bigger than what happened before, right? We already agreed to 14 days to flatten that curve. So is a month really that much longer? Because I agreed to the 14 days. So on what basis would I actually disagree for the one month? Because I accepted that initial premise. And it kind of goes from there. Uh, let me get a drink. Hold on. <clears throat> All right. And, okay, I'm going to move on for now before I get too far down that rabbit hole. But I, I do want to say in the, in the topic of the uh, Gillian Maxwell trial, which is going on now, I have more interest than anything else in the very topic of who were the clients. For me, that's the story. I, I get that she was a recruiter, apparently, of children, and she brought them to Epstein Island. Again, allegedly, she hasn't been found guilty yet, um, for, you know, to have sex with these older men, or to, or to be raped by these older men, you might say. But in any case, um, who were the older men, I mean, besides Epstein? For me, that's the story. And I imagine that is for most people too, because we know that the people who visited were hugely influential in our society. They were rich in our society. They were the celebrities of our society. And so a lot of people have been saying, well, maybe she's not naming names, that is Gillian Maxwell, because she's afraid that, you know, Epstein will happen to her, right? She'll quote-unquote commit suicide in her cell or something like that. But here's what's most interesting for me. Apparently, it just was revealed that the feds never offered a plea deal to her to name names. There's never really been a concerted effort to get her to name the names of the people who were responsible for actually raping these young girls. And that is kind of a question in and of itself, which is, well... Why don't they want the names? I mean, surely they want them, right? I mean, if justice is to be done in this case, in any regard, after Epstein's death, then it, it would surely be in the prosecution of the other individuals who were raping young girls on this island. I mean, it, it just seems so obvious that I struggle to say it because it's like, I feel like I should be adding something to this kind of argument, but it's so obvious, it's like, that's what everyone cares about. That's surely what the victims care about. Like, yes, I get it. This woman procured and trafficked these, uh, w these, these girls and was obviously involved, and yes, I want justice to be done in that particular case too. However, 
the men who were raping these girls should be held accountable. And we have the fact that there's been no concerted effort to actually get those names. Really, there hasn't. And moreover, we know that, allegedly, Epstein actually recorded the sexual acts between these older men and these young girls in order to have some kind of leverage to use against those men. And if so, then the names are already known, but have not been released and have not been arrested. Now, I have seen some people who are celebrating the fact that some CEOs have stepped down in the last couple of days. Most notably, Jack Dorsey stepped down from Twitter, and he apparently is going to continue working on his other project, which is Square, which is a, a payment processor. Now, some people are kind of like latching onto that and seeing it as a victory. I don't, because I don't see any evidence for that. And I'm not the type of person who kind of goes along with the sort of hopium, like, yes, I see that we're winning because there are people who are disappearing and moving around. The truth is, there are always people who are stepping down and moving around, and I'm not going to kind of take the cue sort of approach of, hey, look, it, what we want to happen must obviously be happening because we really want it to happen. I, I don't think that's a way to do political commentary in the case of my job, and I don't think it's a way to distribute news, uh, or even to really look at the world in an open and honest way. Yes, it's easier that way, and I'm open to it if it happens, okay? Um, however, I, yeah, I mean, that was kind of the whole QAnon stick in a lot of ways, or shtick, sorry, uh, was in, in part the whole, hey, look, this person just disappeared from the, from the limelight for two months. Do you know what's really happening? What's really happening is he's actually been arrested behind closed doors, and, you know, this person's disappearing and all this other stuff, and... Often the case, no, um, didn't happen. And it's like, I can understand as bad as our world is, and I'm not trying to be a cynic here, but I, I can understand as bad as the world is that there is very much a need for hope. There's very much a need for positive news. I can respect that. I can. I won't indulge in it on the basis of lies. If I'm giving you positive news, it's because I see reason for it, but I'll never actually lie to you about it and, and come up with this, certainly won't intend to, and come up with you know convoluted conspiracy theories about it. Again, if we find out these people stepped down because in fact they got you know named behind the scenes and they're going to get arrested and all of this stuff, fantastic. You know, great. I want justice to be done. But I'm not going to say that that's the case unless I've actually seen any details to indicate that that's the case. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to kind of engage in fantasy even if I'd like it to be the case. All right, and it seems entirely possible that Jack Dorsey, for example, is stepping down from Twitter and will actually keep working at Square and that that's it, you know, end of story. And that's all there is. And I don't really see why you would step down in that case. For example, Let's just say there was an individual who was a CEO. I'm taking this away from some of the names so they don't get accused of calling somebody a pedophile. Um, but let's just say there was an individual who was a CEO, and this person had actually done this. Had actually been a pedophile who'd gone to Epstein's Island and had, uh, you know, had, uh, what's it called, statutory rape with these underage girls. Uh, then why would he step down from his job? I mean... Seriously, if he hadn't been charged, why would he step down? Because, I mean, either way he's going to get charged. I don't really see, like, a, a remediation of guilt or anything like that that would kind of mean, oh, he's not going to get charged anymore because 
now we're good. Like, I know that in politics that sometimes happens. Like, I'm going to step away uh, so that I don't get so much limelight, doesn't look so bad on my party. Uh, that sometimes happens. But in the area of actual pedophilia, actual, you know, rape on some other island, uh, it would just make him look more guilty. Ultimately, that's all it would do is, is convince everybody that, wow, he did it, <laughs> you know, that's what it would actually do, um, ultimately speaking. So I don't see um, a sort of congruency there in, in the worldview. Okay, hold on a sec. <clears throat> okay, I can only read half a comment here, but it says, you know, for guidelines reasons, but it says Maxwell will be scapegoated. They aren't going to blow open the whole Epstein thing. Um, and yes, I, I do agree. I think that's a problem. But as soon as I saw that the FBI were going over to the Epstein Island to collect evidence, I figured that was evidence that we would never see and evidence that uh, would never be used for true justice. And that's really tragic for the girls who are trying to move on with their lives and who want justice and want the kind of closure and frankly deserve both. I think that, that, that really is tragic. Um, and I do, I would like to see the pedophile, the pedophilic cabal destroyed. I, I don't have doubts that there are pedophiles in the upper echelon of our society. I don't, that's not what I'm saying here. I'm saying that I don't think they'll be brought to justice. And I'm saying, you know, that I don't think a few CEOs stepping down here and there is all that significant unless I see details that indicate otherwise. Because the truth is that there are lots of different companies that are pretty massive and CEOs do step down from time to time to pursue other projects, especially when they're um, more on the eccentric side to be a bit nice about this. Um, let's see. Yes. Uh, yeah, Prince Andrew being one of them, yes. Um, Ali says, where are you from? You look British. Well, yeah, I am ethnically English, so there is that. And that is where I grew up until I was 16, then I came here to the, to the United States, so now I have this mixed accent that I will have forever. So people would always join the stream and always ask where my accent's from. So now you know. Um, <laughs> uh... This guy says, Jack Dorsey stepped down because he's more libertarian and the board of Twitter wants control to censor and be more woke and authoritarian. Um, I don't know. I have trouble looking at Jack Dorsey and seeing him as being particularly libertarian when it comes to free speech. At the same time, I recognize that when you look at the far left, there is <laughs> almost no depth to where, where they won't travel. And that's kind of one of the things that we've seen, right, is... Uh, they're already talking about and, and putting forth a policy, in fact, with a new CEO that you won't be able to share pictures of non-public people, which in effect is going to get rid of a lot of memes and I'm sure will be very selectively enforced so as to protect those on the left, such as Antifa members, um, and not those on the right. Uh, so that's exactly what's going to happen. And I don't think that requires any sort of... Um, oracle vision <laughs> to, to really accomplish that that way and you know people are saying that that's going to kill twitter probably not because um twitter's been recognized as a source of grand lef leftism and also censorship for a very long time um in fact my i think the very first video i did on this channel was about a uh some censorship that I'd experienced at Twitter that actually locked out my account for 12 hours um, because I said something about how Islam is um, 
actually harsh on homosexuals and women and therefore leftists shouldn't actually, you know, love Islam so much. It was kind of an incongruent worldview. I mentioned that. I got banned for 12 hours and that was, you know, years ago. Like I said, I think it was the first video on this channel. Um, they, they, they helped to kind of push me in this direction of producing videos, as it turns out. So you never know. It was like there were several events that happened around the same time, but that was one of them that kind of resulted in some degree of um, indignation on my part, which kind of pushed me a little bit further in this direction. Um, the internet used to be fun when it was more amateurish and free. Well, yeah, nowadays you don't have any search engines that are decent. And I know I'm going to upset everybody with that because everyone's going to kind of scream almost collectively about whichever search engine they happen to use. But the truth is the vast majority of the alternative search engines use Google and Bing for their data points. They do. Um, and that's the thing. It's like, and I, I've done videos about DuckDuckGo, so please don't mention it. Um, I've done like two videos about them and I don't want to do a third, but I, I've made my points very clear as to why I do not personally use them. Um, and, but, but for the most part, just about all the search engines don't, what it's called is crawling the web. They don't do that by themselves. Instead, they get the data from Google and Bing, and it used to be Google, Bing, and Yahoo, but then Bing bought Yahoo, so now it's just Google and Bing. And then they just take that data and, and present it to you with a different uh, banner at the top. And as far as I know, I mean, I think Quant does some of its own crawling or indexing, um, but also relies very heavily at this point on these other uh, search engines, which engage in censorship, of course, so that wasn't clear. Uh, the only one I can think of right now is Yandex, which is a Russian search engine, that's Y-A-N-D-E-X. That's the only one that I think that actually does its own crawling, and it seems really absurd that increasingly we're having to rely on Russian technology in order to be free. Uh, but that's actually the direction in which we're going, which is alarming in, in so many different ways. Um, and, and it's also personally alarming because it's like it's supposed to be kind of a center point of American idealism that an individual would be able to speak freely and that those the best ideas would win, so to speak. And that, moreover, the, the, the freedom of speech in itself is a God-given right. And now that th that principle has been abandoned by society itself, especially younger society, because they've been taught about America's founding in a very untrue and negative way. Uh, so now you kind of see the products of those younger generations, and also of immigrants, which I'll get to in a second, that, you know, all these are called American products don't care about free speech. And then we have to turn to, you know, the former USSR. You know, in the case of Russia, for freedom, of all things. Like, literally, for freedom. It's absolutely insane, but that's where we are. And when I mention immigrants there, I want to kind of come back to that. When you look at the kind of top tech companies, you, you see a very heavy uh, foreign influence there. Like, they have lots of different um, immigrant workers and immigrant labor, including people very high up in these companies who are in many cases brought over from places like India, let's say, uh, with, these with these visas. And what, what are the products of that, in addition to the kind of more obvious um, issues with, with labor in the United States and how that affects American workers? That is an important point, but it's less so for my current argument, is that when you bring people over from another culture, you bring over the values of that culture or the absence of values. And they're, they're the countries like 
India, don't value free speech in the way that the American culture traditionally has. And so you actually have a lot of people in these, you know, big tech companies that simply have never even been exposed to the idea of God-given rights. Never mind have a sort of almost religious adherence to them, which was part of and ingrained into American culture. For the, for the, and I mean that in the most positive way, that there was, you know, an almost religious fervence toward the following of these of the rights that were specified in the Bill of Rights because, of course there was, because these were supposedly God-given rights, right? And so why wouldn't there be a religious fervency? It actually seemed to kind of go hand-in-hand hand with the faith that an individual was born with these rights. And then, you know, then you bring over people who've never even been exposed to that concept, never been, never been raised in it, most assuredly. And so you end up with um, mass censorship. And I don't think even... Most people even realize to what degree that is the case when they use mainstream search engines, you know, like Google and so on. They don't realize just how much isn't being shown to them in the case of just absolute full websites. The, my own website that I, you know, the healthwise.org, that's healthwyze.org, was just murdered by Google years ago. Because Google went after alternative health before it went after really really politics for the most part. They, they moved really hard into that. And now, of course, we're living in this kind of medical tyranny. So it seems kind of almost appropriate that the kind of um, medical stuff intersects with politics in a way that it hasn't in the past, but it seems almost like Google was ready for it beforehand. Interestingly enough, when you really put, put everything together. Uh, anyway. Uh, the Shuggy says Brave Search is supposedly independent. Yes and no. Yes, it's independent in that they have their own crawlers, but also they fill in with, for now at least, they fill in with other data from other search engines because, I mean, the internet's big at this point, uh, just to be kind of blunt about it, and they haven't crawled anywhere near as much as they think they need to in order to have a fully independent search engine. That's why they still describe it in a lot of places as being rather beta. Um, start page is Google dependent, yes, uh, absolutely. And Yippee was wonderful, but then it got uh, bought out by DuckDuckGo. I loved Yippee, yes, it was it was owned by like, IBM, and it did a fantastic job, and you could sort in these really weird ways. And, okay, I'll, I'll stop talking about it because it's gone anyway, so there's no point with me kind of explaining and romanticizing it because it was amazing, but it is also gone. So there is that, <laughs> okay. Um, Anyway, uh, okay, let's move on because I just talked about tech for like 15 minutes or something and I didn't mean to even bring it up, so hold on. <clears throat> All right. Um, oh, I did want to talk about Germany actually because they've just enacted a lockdown for the unvaccinated. That's going to be um, Angela Merkel or Angela, if some of you prefer for some reason. Um, it's going to be her final act as... Chancellor. Doesn't Chancellor just sound like a really kind of super villain sort of title? Anyway, um, regardless of that, um, Angela Merkel has been enacting this and that will bar the unvaccinated people from all social life, basically, from restaurants, pubs, cinemas, gyms, theatres, events, and so-called non-essential shops. Now, I know that when when people were banned from non-essential shops here, that meant that basically you could go to grocery stores, but 
the other stores were shut down, right? Um, so you kind of had clothing stores and all of that were forced to shut down. And so now you're going to have something very similar to that apparently happening in Germany, except for the difference being, oh, hey, if you get the vaccine, you're perfectly fine. And, you know, uh, there's a lot that I can say about efficacies and so on, but I won't. Rather, I'll just simply concentrate on the fact that this two-tiered system in order to bully one half of the populace into taking a medical procedure that they do not want is evil. And I won't stop saying it, and I don't care who it upsets, but it is an evil thing to do. Because even if it was perfectly safe, you know, and had no side effects to anybody ever, it would still be evil to force somebody against his will to take a medical procedure, to take something into his body that he did not want. It would still be wrong. And of course, that scenario is not the case. Nothing is perfectly safe for all people. But it turns out that the this two-tiered society thing that they're doing in Germany, according to the official news sources, so kind of bear this in mind, all right, has widespread support amongst the populace. But it's like, well, okay. And then supposedly about like 76, I think it said, percent of the German populace has received this shot. And therefore, that percentage roughly is okay with the two-tiered system. And it, I think there's something about the human psyche that says, hey, if I had to do it, then you have to do it too, you know? And, and I think that you do see some of that in the people who've gone ahead and sort of bent the knee, you know? I do think you see some of that. It's, well, I, I've already bent the knee and I don't see why other people won't comply. And I'm using the words that they use. This isn't even me kind of being uh, hyperbolic at this point because this is the very sort of lingo that's being used by governments, right? This, this terms like comply are now being used regularly by these governments, um, including here and also in Germany uh, and Canada and Australia and the United, the United Kingdom and so on. Right? These terms are spreading around. But I think there is a kind of part of the human psyche which says, well, I've already complied and therefore you are you're kind of making me regret my decision. You're making me look bad by your lack of compliance. And, and that is kind of a, well, it's, it's how society kind of declines in a really bad way. Because increasingly you have this kind of like shrinking minority of people who are unwilling to comply and everybody else kind of becomes almost the, the persecutor of that minority. And it, it, if you look through history, things don't go well from there. As you have that one group of people, that shrinking minority, that becomes a kind of uh, scapegoat to all of society's ills. And that's the problem is, is and that's what, what we're going toward, you know, you and I, uh, I mean, some of you, you have been watching me for like years at this point, but um, you and I have talked at length about the scapegoating of white people. In fact, I talked about it earlier on in this particular show, the way that white people over the years have been kind of stigmatized as the, the scapegoat of society's ills, right? That it's white people have been the oppressors now and throughout history. And because of them, we have all these different problems and nothing is perfect. And it would be if it weren't for them. Okay, and that kind of leads toward um, eventually genocide. It, it always has. When, when you have one group and you're 
labeling all of society's problems on them so that they can be the scapegoat for the lack of utopia. It, that's where it leads, ultimately. And yes, you have kind of small-scale events first, individual people who decide it's their job to take care of these people that others will not take care of. And you saw that in the case of um, the, the massacre against the Christmas parade at, at there in Wisconsin. But you also have, similarly, around the world, the scapegoat uh, group of people is the unvaccinated. The people who, for one reason or ten, doesn't really matter, have decided that they did not want this medical experiment to be used upon them. And for that reason, they are being described as society's problems. They are the reason that everybody else can't go back to normal life. They are the reason that companies are dying. They are the reason for the lockdowns. And of course, none of that is true. All of those things are actually the fault of the government. All of them. They're actually the fault of the government that's enacting the policies that's shutting down the businesses, right? It's, it's the government that's forcing the lockdowns. It's the government that's telling people they can't go back to a normal life. And yet, the government is saying, no, don't look at us for enacting these very policies. Look at these other people who are the reason that we're enacting these policies. Take it out on them. Almost like, you know, like in the military when they do this kind of... Um, there's a name for it, like group punishment or collective punishment, something like that. It's kind of like that, where they have the entire sort of platoon turn against the one guy who seems to be holding them up. And for that reason, the, the peer pressure increases drastically. Um, it's kind of like that, but on a societal level where, you know, most of society turns against the one individual who cares about his rights, for example, or refuses to take uh, a a medical procedure that he doesn't want. It's a very similar dynamic if you really pay attention to it. And it's, it's twisted that it's happening and that the, the government has turned in, into this role of sort of military bully, so to speak. Um, let's see. I'm just kind of scrolling through your comments for a minute here. You guys are obsessed with my hair color. I promise it's not that intriguing. It is blonder than it appears in the video though. And it varies from time of year. I've never dyed it. And like lots of you think that I dye it. I don't, I never have throughout my entire life. It just varies upon sun exposure and stuff. Anyway, moving on, because I'm not gonna you know, hover on this topic. Okay, so on, um, actually, on October 31st, I don't know if you heard the story because I didn't and then I heard about it and I was just kind of, I, I wanted to share it with you. The, 30,000 people were trapped inside Shanghai Disneyland on Halloween um, after one person tested positive for COVID-19. One person went to Shanghai Disneyland and was tested positive. And as a result of that, um, they shut the entire place down and required 34,000 visitors and staff to get tested before they were allowed to leave. Uh, really, they did this. The police, I, I mean, I, I say it with a smile because it's just kind of odd. It's just, it's just, it's really difficult to even imagine. Um, it, it's not actually amusing, except for the fact that the, the exaggerated nature of it is just like so large that there's just something dystopian and perplexing about the fact that it could even happen, right? That you have, Disneyland, just imagine being trapped there. Right? You're one of 34,000 people who's there as, as fireworks go off in the sky, because this literally happened, 
The police are blocking the park's e exits, forbidding people from leaving, waiting for 34,000 tests to be done. And by the way, you have to follow up and get another test in 24 hours. And, you know, in this country, here in the United States, if you don't follow up on some test, um, no one's going to hunt you down for it uh, because our government is incompetent. Otherwise, they probably would. But in, in China, of course, it's, it's a little bit different because there they've got everything automated and they're tracking everything that you do and you have your own, um, you know, social credit score and everything else through which they can enforce whatever the heck they want and they do, including whether or not you can, like, you know, travel on a train or anything else, uh, travel long distances, all of this stuff. They've got it all controlled. And there's a part of me that would have once said, you know, a couple of years ago, I'd have once said, this, this couldn't happen here. And we would have maybe laughed about it. But now, would you would you say that it couldn't happen here? Like, I mean, you'd say that it was that it was ridiculous if it happened here. But it, let's just say you heard that here in the United States at Disney World that they locked it down because somebody had gone with COVID and they required everyone to get tested before leaving. How far fetched does it sound? A little? Yeah. Entirely impossible? I don't think so. And that's what's kind of fascinating about it, right? Is that you think about it and you go, well, okay, just a couple of years ago, I'd have said, that's insane. But now I'm thinking about it and I'm going, a little insane? Not entirely improbable, right? It could actually happen here and nobody would really speak out against it, you know? Because a couple of years ago, you'd have said, well, people will show up with guns and they'll make sure because nobody wants to be a prisoner and at that point it's it's basically a camp and it's a gulag and we would have all agreed now not so much right because now it's like i'm not sure where people are going to draw that line right N not really <laughs> and i'm not sure at what point you'd have lots of people who would be willing to really draw that line and say something um yeah exactly um Oh, oh, uh, on, a, on a similar tyrannical topic, which it seems like all I talk about now is just like different instances of, of, of tyranny. It's not my fault. It is the news. Um, but I'm glad that you can join me for it in any case. So this one actually took place in Round Rock, Texas, which I don't usually think Texas when you think instances of tyranny. But in Round Rock, Texas, uh, you had some parents who were upset about mass mandates. You know? Understandably so. And two men, Jeremy Story and Dustin Clark, were two of those who were escorted out of school meetings because they were willing to stand there and require that the school board, that the district, listen to their concerns. So they were, you know, dragged out in, in a scene that has become just kind of so popular and common at this point. I shouldn't say popular, but certainly very common to see a parent being dragged out by an officer. This has become like our new norm. Um, well, in this particular case, not only did that happen, but then afterwards, the school district's own police department, yes, it has one, in coordination with the sheriff, sent, sent agents to the homes of these parents, of Jeremy Story and Dustin Clark, and had them arrested. Um, in their homes, they literally, they sent police officers to the homes of both men, arrested them, and put them in jail on charges of disorderly conduct with intent to disrupt, disrupt a meeting. They were released the next day, they spent the night in jail. These are parents who were concerned about the way that their children are being treated inside of a public school, and the 
school district with its own little law enforcement branch, again, with coordination from the sheriff, else it wouldn't have happened. But in any case, sent their own little tyrants over to the homes of these men, these parents, in order to intimidate them, to arrest them, to harass them, to labor them with uh, legal fees. And then, at the same time, what was really being done? What was really being done is they're trying to terrorize every other parent in Round Rock, Texas, and perhaps further. That if you do the same, if you come here and, you know, tell us what you really think, then you too will be arrested and burdened with these legal fees and you'll have to be separated from your children overnight and who knows what kind of criminal records you'll get for daring to speak up at a well, should be public meeting, which is what the people were screaming, by the way, these men who are being dragged out. This is supposed to be a public meeting. You know, that's kind of the point. It's a school board. You don't send, your, your kids aren't supposed to be there to be kidnapped at the school, right? It's a, it's a public school and it's called that for a reason. And the public is supposed to have some kind of um, control over what happens there. At the very least, they're supposed to have a voice. That's the point of the meetings. But instead, they weren't allowed. And this sort of terroristic message took place. And I, I read in this article, it said that many parents believe the school board is trying to send a message. If you speak out against us, we will turn you into criminals. And that's exactly it. Because when you start getting a criminal record, it, makes, it would make um, your life harder in almost every regard. I mean, that just kind of goes with it. Right? I mean... Who knows if you can hold on to a job thereafter. Certainly applying for a new job might be more tumultuous than it ought to be. And what, what do you explain to the employer? Well, I went to the, I went to the school board meeting and I demanded to speak for my five minutes. And for that, I now have a, and I have a criminal record. I mean, it sounds so absurd and that's where we are. But remember, this also goes in line with the FBI labeling parents as terrorists which also uh, Merrick Garland, the Attorney General of the United States, said wasn't really happening. He testified under oath that it wasn't really happening. But a couple of weeks ago, House Republicans obtained whistleblower documents from what must be the last decent person still in the FBI, showing, in fact, that the FBI is using its counterterrorism division to investigate and add threat tags to parents contradicting the sworn testimony of the Attorney General of the United States, Merrick Garland, who, by the way, Obama wanted to be on the Supreme Court, if you recall. Just as a little reminder of what could have been right there. Um, but yes, the threat tag they're using for these parents, to use their term, is edu official officials. So edu is in education, officials. This is the threat tag being applied to parents in the United States for having the audacity to speak out against, in many cases, it's masked. In other, in other cases, it's critical race theory. In other cases, it's the transgenderism thing where you've got um, men and, sorry, girls and boys sports teams being mixed. And also, more importantly, the uh, boys going inside of girls' bathrooms and so on, as long as they're pretending to be a girl and all of that kind of thing going on. Um, Code M says, hi, I'm from Round Rock. Well, hey, welcome to the show. Uh, but yeah, that's, it's, you know, we're talking Texas, you know, we're not talking California even, but this is the kind of thing that's spreading. But I've also said, and you know, I'll give you hope when I see it. You know, I, like I told you earlier, I won't lie to you, but I'll, I'll tell you when I see signs that are uplifting. And one thing that is uplifting is that this 
is spreading, and I don't mean the tyranny. I mean the individual parents and adults who just happen to be paying taxes in that area to the educational system are willing to speak up and go to these meetings and fight against the wrongs that are taking place, like whatever those wrongs actually are. And we've seen little clusters throughout the United States throughout the past sort of year or so, uh, and especially the last six months, in which changes are being made as a, as a direct result of uh, more traditionalist parents and again, adults who don't have kids, but heck, they pay taxes, so why not show up? Um, and, and that's a start, you know? Like, seriously, I, I think that if you're going to start somewhere in reclaiming the United States and reclaiming what's decent and what's good, it has to start with community. It has to start in your very local area. And a school board seems like a pretty good place to start because that's the next generation who every day that they attend a public school are being exposed to one thing or 50 that's wrong and that can be fixed by people actually standing up. And I think that you've had leftists in positions of power for a really long time who have come to a degree of sort of complacency with the idea, a sort of acceptance with the idea that as long as they do things that are on the left, they'll never have to worry about anything because only leftists protest. That if they, if they stay leftist enough and if they can teach outright communism and anti-whiteism and everything else, and they're perfectly fine because nobody who's conservative or traditionalist or anything else will ever show up and be a burden to them because, the, because those people don't actually protest. And it's time that ended. It's time that such people who are encouraged only by their own cowardice realize that they can't be cowardly anymore, that they have to actually pick a side. Because that's the thing, there are a lot of people out there, people in positions of power, who have made the decisions that they've made, including just in, in silence and in complicity, because they're simply, they simply know that they're less likely to get a reaction if they side with the collective left. And that has to end, and we're beginning to see some of that. So when you look for signs of hope, I think that you see them in this sort of clusters of small communities, and that's how you sort of create a, a, a little bastion of, of freedom and of faith in, in your own world and the world of your kids. And that really isn't something that can be overstated, just how important that is. Um, so yeah, there's your actual hope. Like I said, I won't lie to you, but that's, that's what it is. Um, Okay, I'm going to end the show soon because we've been going for quite a while. Uh, I'm just kind of giving you a heads up. So if you do have any questions or topics that you definitely want me to hit, uh, you need to go ahead and get the typing um, whilst I'm hanging out with you, and I'll do the best that I can. <clears throat> and uh, whilst you're typing, I'll go ahead and mention... Uh, people have asked me what I thought about the whole Kyle Rittenhouse thing. I actually never covered the fact that he was found not guilty because we had the two weeks off due to Thanksgiving. But uh, I'll go ahead and say, because I know that a lot of people are upset that he went on Tucker Carlson and he said that he actually supports Black Lives Matter. Um, and therefore, you know, the whole thing just what was, was, was all wrong. And it's like, and then he later on bashed Lynn Wood and others. And it seems like he's being exploited by a lot of grifters who are sort of barely on the right, who are, we'll just call them Republican because I don't want to call them conservative. He's being exploited by a lot of people who tend to exploit and work off of, work off of others like parasites. That said, I'm still glad that he won his case because ultimately what matters is that 
he wasn't guilty. What he did was he defended himself while he was there to defend property, which he shouldn't have had to have done if the city was doing its job, which the mayor, you know, refused to have the police actually, you know, we've been over this and over this. But in any case, what he did on that day was the right thing. And therefore, I'm still glad that he won his case and is out free. I personally think that he should step away from public life at this point um, and be very careful about who he who he trusts right now. I think he's trusting a lot of the wrong people. But in any case, um, yeah, so that, that's kind of my two cents on the topic. Um, did you see the trailer for Santa Inc? No, I did not. Okay. I'm funny they're more concerned with prosecuting those who stand up against lawlessness. Well, yes, and you'll notice that the the guy who who literally pointed a a pistol at Kyle Rittenhouse still has not been charged for doing so, even though he said as much on the stand. He he literally admitted to, to saying that. Uh, sorry, he admitted to doing that, and yet there we are. Uh, okay, uh, did the university not let him in, or was it the students that got loud? I don't think we'll probably know, but in any case, this, the university certainly seemed to cower when it came to the Kyle Rittenhouse case. But I do hope that he can kind of step back from life and kind of live as a bit of a kid again, because I know he lost, he kind of lost those the, those years and was kind of forced into public life on account of having to defend himself before the entire world, because you have to remember that that's what he had to do, right? He, uh, his entire trial was publicized throughout the entire world. You know, I, I have friends still in, in England who, who literally watched the trial take place, which was really kind of weird for them because in England, you don't have trials that are actually publicized. In fact, you don't even have it covered, uh, thoroughly in newspapers until it's over. So for them, it was like, you know, <laughs> crazy. Anyway, um, in Michigan, about 15 years ago, trouble was brewing for riots in a small city. The governor sent the state police in, and lo and behold, nothing happened. Uh, yeah, I mean, in, what we've seen is that these riots that take place happen in areas where people can't defend themselves. And you often saw that in Washington, D.C., actually. You know, like, you, you, when you saw a lot of the Antifa rioting that happened in Washington, D.C., that was in a place where people can't you know, can't carry, can't actually defend themselves if they need to. And you saw a lot of that happen after those Trump rallies. Like, forget January 6th for a moment. If you go back to, like, November and December where you had the Stop the Steal protest taking place, well, it was during them that people had to separate from the big crowds to go home, and then they were attacked by uh, Antifa and, and Black Lives Matter. There's not really a distinction, but in any case, by those members, and they were unable to defend themselves because simply, you know, carrying arms properly uh, up there in Washington, D.C. is not legal. And you've seen throughout the entire period of this, of these riots, I mean, it really goes back to when, I can't remember it happening when Trump was being elected the first time, which was 2016, right? I remember the Milo event um, when he was going to speak at Berkeley University, and that became like a big thing with fires and lots of business destruction and all of that, right? All that took place. Um, so, and it's always in these areas where people can't defend themselves properly. It's always in like really heavy leftist areas. They don't go and destroy communities in areas where those communities could self-defend. 
In England, does the judge wear a wig? Yes, as do the uh, lawyers, which are not called lawyers. They're called barristers. There was a time when I wanted to do that. I wanted to become a British attorney, um, or as it were, a barrister. They kind of have the attorney job split into two. You have a solicitor and a barrister, and the barrister argues in court, and the solicitor just kind of does the paperwork. So I wanted to be the barrister thing, and then I did what in England they call work experience, which um, in the United States you kind of call an internship, a really short-term one. And I did that, and I hated it, and I kind of came to the conclusion that in order to go into that kind of profession, that I'd end up kind of selling my soul as the people there seem to have. And I'm not even joking. That was, that was I was like, I think I was 15 at the time. And I was like, these people just seem so incredibly soulless. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So anyway, that, that, that was that. Okay. Anyway, um, would you be willing to do an interview with the quartering? I, I don't see why not. Um, seems like an okay guy. Uh, but anyway, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna end this. But thank you guys, you've been you've been great tonight, and I do appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, have a wonderful night. Okay, and I'll see you uh, next week, if not before. Bye bye. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider helping to support it. You can give a one-time donation or buy a branded mug at thecrusadergal.com, or you can donate monthly by searching for my name, Sarah Courier, at Subscribestar. Thank you so much. I couldn't do this without your support. And whether you can help financially or not. Don't forget to tell your friends, Big Tech isn't going to help me spread the word. Thank you.